this. I want to honor the fathers in the room, too. So we, uh, we are so thankful for uh, our Heavenly Father, and we're just thankful for the dads here at the church. You guys, I love just the, the way you're hands-on uh, dads. And so if you're, a, if you're a father, if you could stand up. And we're going to come interview you. No, we're not going to interview you, so. But yeah, let's give them a hand. So yes, thank you. Come on. So those of you who are seated, I want you to, uh, to put your hands towards them. If you're married or a family, you can put your hands on them. And so, uh, Lord, we're so thankful for dads who uh, lead the charge and set the atmosphere and give identity to their children. And so, Lord, I, we just break off any shame for not doing a better job. But, Lord, we just thank you for the good job that, uh, that they are doing. And I pray just increase wisdom on uh, how to make a difference. No matter how old their kids are, how old their grandkids are, just give them wisdom on how to make a difference, to set the tone, to lead them towards Jesus. Lord, we pray for blessing on their health. We pray a blessing on their finances. We pray that you would crown their heads with wisdom. So, Lord, we thank you for them. In the name of Jesus, we bless them. Amen. All right. Thank you, dads. What, Cheryl? Oh, you're blessed. Okay, it's coming back on me. I'll take it. I will take it. Okay. Um, I'm just realizing why I can't see. <laughs> Give me a second. All right. Further embarrassment. All right. Here we go. All right. Hey, there's actually people here. All right. So sorry about that. So unprofessional. But anyway, so I want to let you guys know there's, there's a culture that we've been building inside the church. I really look at culture like a greenhouse. You know, it can cause good things to grow faster. And so um, we're designing our church to transform people who transform culture. So we're not building it to be like a refrigerator. We're just hoping to keep people and they don't spoil. You know, we're going to keep them here a long time. It's, we're not measuring success by our seating capacity, but by our sending capacity. It's not sending in the, in the sense that, like, you know, we hope you leave, but in the sense that every person pictures themselves as a missionary. Every home sees themselves as a mission station where they're taking the good things that God's doing and is in their hearts and in the kingdom, in his presence, and they're taking that out into planet Earth, into their everyday life. And so I look at our church as like an incubator. It's a greenhouse. But there's a miracle grow that happens that causes this whole thing to function well. You know, miracle grow, it makes things grow a little bit faster. And so... Here's what I want to talk about. I think it's a key ingredient, and I think it's needed in our culture. And uh, maybe you've heard this phrase, culture of honor. Do you think that might be needed in our culture and things that are going on right now? And so, and so here's the thing, guys. If we can get it to work in our lives and in our homes and in our church, now we've got a voice to be able to speak it into our workplaces in our city. All right. So I want to describe this culture of honor. And I just want to say up front that I've learned a lot of this from uh, Danny Silk and the, and the teachings at Bethel Church. I'd never heard the phrase before, before I heard it taught on them, so I think it's just always good to give credit for uh, where you learn stuff from. So I want to I uh, show, are we going to be able to do that, that video clip? I want to uh, do a clip. It's kind of the opposite of the culture of honor, and perhaps you're familiar with the soup Nazi. Mine is huge. It's like this all the time. Isn't that that Banya guy? Oh, no. It is. Just be still. Not too late. I think he picked up the scent. <laughs> hey, Jerry! I didn't know you liked soup. Hard to believe. This guy makes the best soup in the city, Jerry. The best. You know what they call him? Soup Nazis. Shh. All right, then. I'm not letting you cut in line. Why not? Because if he catches us, we'll never be able to get soup again. Okay, okay. <laughs> Now, 
Medium turkey chili. <laughs> Medium crab bisque. I didn't get any bread. Just forget it, let it go. Um, excuse me, uh, I think you forgot my bread. Bread, two dollars extra. Two dollars, but everyone in front of me got free bread. You want bread? Yes, please. Three dollars! <laughs> what? No soup for you! As the episode continues, you find out that the soup Nazi, he has all the power. I mean, one wrong move and it's no soup for you. I mean, so people are just on pins and needles. And so that's the opposite of a culture of honor. In a culture of honor, people are feeling empowered. I want to ask you this. Do people feel more powerful around you or less powerful around you? An empowering person, they're going to make people feel more powerful around you. How about your kids, your spouse, your coworker? I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. We're going to go someplace with this. But I think it's good to just look at this. It's interesting, when uh, God first speaks of honor, it's in the Ten Commandments. And he says this in Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Here's the principle. Life actually flows through honor. When you bring honor to a situation, I know some of you are already going, well, there's some people who don't deserve it. We're going to get to all that, okay? When you bring honor into a situation, you actually release life into that situation. Where there's no honor, death enters that situation. So I remember, uh, so when I was in seminary, I worked in an adult inpatient psychiatric ward. And so there's not many stories I can tell from there. A lot of them are just sad. And uh, this one borders between sad and profound, okay? And so one of the jobs I had to do, I was a psychiatric technician, which sounds really, really like a powerful title, doesn't it? So, uh, so one of the things I had to do is I had to check, I had to do a strip search of the males who were being admitted to the unit. So we had to check them for any scars and tattoos to make sure that uh, we couldn't be accused of them getting new scars in the hospital. Uh, we had to check orifices to make sure they weren't bringing in anything illegal. <clears throat> so you guys get the picture. It was, it was not the greatest job, at, uh, whatever. I was making five bucks an hour back then or whatever. So anyway, so I remember we had this, uh, you know, it was just no one wanted to do it. We were, you know, but, so this one guy came in, and he was high out of his mind. So he's talking out of his mind. He's doing violent behavior. So I've got him in the room. I've got my little chart. So picture like an outline of a body facing forward, an outline of a body facing backwards, and so I'm kind of charting his scars and tattoos. And he begins to get very vulgar and um, borderline violent. And so he's uh, doing gyrations and hand gestures with things. I mean, he was creative. I'm going to have to give him that. There was, there was some creativity and some flair to the hand motions he was making towards me. I was actually kind of impressed. And he's, he's cussing me up and down. You blank, and he blank, blank, blank. And so, um, so I don't know if you know this, but one of my superpowers is I have a super sniffer. And so it's not, al it's not always uh, the greatest thing to have, you know. And so, so um, he's, he's down to his underpants, and he has on leopard speedo, like, underpants. And so I'm like, well, that's interesting, you know. And so I'm, I'm kind of charting it. And as I'm charting it, I notice there's a projectile coming at me, <clears throat> um, just kind of out of the corner of my eye. And as I look up, the underwear comes and hits me right in the face and stays there for a second. And I, and I catch the smell. Okay, and so, you know, he'd been on the street for days or weeks without a shower, and it was, it was a lot to handle, okay? And so I felt, I had some feelings come up on the inside of me at that time, and so because, uh, so we had two guys on the unit who their love language is physical contact, 
Okay, and so the, when so a patient would get to a certain level of violence, uh, we were trained on how to take them down in, in a way that they wouldn't hurt themselves. You take them to what they call the timeout room, and you put them in the four-point leather restraints, right? And so sometimes, I'll admit, some of these guys, they really enjoy taking people down hard. And so these two guys, one was um, 6'8", 320. He was a football player at the local college. The other one was 6'6", 280. So these are some big boys, all right? And so they come running to the door, and they are all excited at the commotion because they are ready to take this guy down hard, right? And so I turn, and I say, listen, guys, I got this. And so then, you know what? I'm going to hit the pause button. I'm going to finish that story in just a little bit. So the culture of honor... The culture of honor is never built around what I need. When people think of honor, I don't want you to listen to the sermon and think, yes, people need to be honoring me more. Jim, I'm so glad you're saying this. People need to hear this. They need to, no, no, no. Honor is never about what I receive. It's always about what I bring. I want you guys to catch that. A culture of honor is about what you can give, not what you receive. Honor has become perverted to mean that you recognize my title. You recognize my elevated position. And we think about honor, it gets perverted when you think it's all about me. And you need to honor me and see me for who I am. Flattery is counterfeit honor. Flattery is where I give you compliments to further my own interests. Honor is what I bring to you because of who I am and because I recognize that you are somebody created in the image of God. The fastest way to uh, get on on a, a man's bad side is to talk about his kids or to talk about his wife in a bad way. Right? Like, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a little bit in the public, and so I take some criticism, um, just in different areas. And I, to be honest with you, I, think, I feel like God's kind of wired me to just really not care about it for the most part. It doesn't really hurt my feelings. Someone says something about my wife, and I tell you what, I mean, I'm like, I'm like a loving guy, and my staff calls me the grace guy. You say something about my wife, and there's just something that gets switched to like sub-zero level tolerance. It's like, don't mess with my wife. You can, you know... Or you talk about his kids. I want you guys to just get this, just as we're just tiptoeing into this subject of honor. The church is the bride of Christ. He doesn't like it when you talk bad about her. There's a lot of people in the name of I'm a prophet who are just, well, the church needs to do this. The church, you are the church. The church is people. It's not some entity, you know, for two hours on Sunday. So I just, I just as we're tiptoeing in this, I want you guys just to recognize that if I don't like it when you talk bad about my bride... He doesn't like it when you talk bad about his bride. And as a parent, there's nothing, there's, there's few things that stress you out more than when the kids are going at each other, okay? And we are all God's children. I want you guys to picture that. And so as we're getting there, I want you to just kind of get some heaven's perspective on these things. Are we all right? All right, because it's going to get worse. All right, so let's define honor. We honor because we are honorable, not because the person is acting in a way that, we're, that they're worthy of honor. Are you seeing what I'm saying? We're bringing honor because of who we are, not because of who they are. We have honor to give. So let's define honor. Here's what honor means. It literally means to, to glory, to promote, to elevate another's status, to take them from one level and raise them to another. We're going to look at these phrase by phrase. To give prestige to other people, to give respect and admiration. That's pretty powerful. 
Let's look at these a little bit slower. To promote, to elevate the status of another. In 1 Samuel 18, we see David, who was a shepherd boy. He's with Jonathan, who's the son of the king. He's the prince of the kingdom of Israel. He's next in line. And uh, David and Jonathan, they have their hearts knit together. And here's what we see in in verse 4. Jonathan does something interesting. He's going to take off his royal uh, garments. Jonathan, verse 4. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Some would say that um, Jonathan was doing this because he knew David was going to be king next. At this point in the story, we don't know that. Here's what we see is that uh, it felt very honoring. He's saying, here's this princely garb that is reserved for me that I am now elevating your status. I'm recognizing something about you, and I'm honoring you. I want you to get this. When you and I entered a relationship with Jesus, he elevated our status. He says things like this. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. You once were enemies of God, but now you are children of God. I want you to see, we got a promotion when he honored us. He calls us co-laborers. What happened? He's promoted you in your level of glory, your level of honor, your level of status with him. If God can promote uh, and elevate his enemies into a new status, who can't we promote in our relationship with us? Boy, it is quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning, I'll tell you what. Who shouldn't get promoted in their relationship with you? You're like, i got a whole list of people. We're going to get to that. To glory, to promote, to elevate another's status, to take them from one level and raise them to another. Let's look at this. To give prestige to other people. Prestige means that um, it's only something that a high-ranking official can give because they have it to give. Therefore, if you do not know your elevated status because of Christ, you will never be able to raise other people's status because you just see yourself as lowly. Guys, this is huge. When you recognize that you are loved because of what Jesus has done, not because of your amazing performance, when you see that God has brought you from lowly and elevated you to be a prince in his kingdom, when you recognize that, now you have something to give away to other people. You're not trying to grab it. Orphans run around as if they have no father, trying to grasp for meaning and identity. And if somebody else gets elevated, that means less for me. No, no. In the kingdom, when somebody gets elevated, God's no respecter of persons. It's a legal precedent for you to get that same breakthrough. If you do not understand who you are as a son or daughter of the king, you will not give honor because you don't have it to give. You'll still be looking for it. Phrase I had in my uh, heart a while back, eyes of royalty, heart of a servant. So we see others from this position of royalty recognizing, I have status to give. I can raise other people up, but we serve them with the heart of a servant. I like the last part of the uh, definition of honor, to give respect and admiration. Respect is, I think you're awesome. Admiration is, I'm finding the wonder of God in your life. Put it this way, you're looking for the gold and not the dirt. I'm not sure if you've been on uh, social media or the news lately. Any fool can find dirt. They're like, 37 years ago, he wrote this one sentence on his college paper. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, this, this, this is, what are they doing? They're searching for the dirt. That's the world system. That's the world's way of doing things. I know, I'm stepping into some stuff here. Honor means that I celebrate you, I don't just tolerate you. God does not define you by your worst days. He defines you by who he sees you becoming in him. So I love it when, uh, I love it when God changes people's names in the Bible. I've, uh, I always kind of want to have God like, give me some awesome name change. Like, you know, you are no longer called Jim. From now on, you will be fierce warrior. Like, yes, Father, I've been waiting for this, you know. But he like, sees Peter. So before his name was Peter, he was called Cephas. And so Cephas, 
I mean, he is just a character in the New Testament. He's always saying the wrong things. He's brash, you know. He's trying to chop people's heads off and misses and gets the ear. And he's just always doing, like, he's just, he's just that guy that we're all like, thank God Peter's in the Bible. I don't feel so bad, right? And so I totally identify with Peter. And so, um, so right in the middle of his big mess, Jesus says this. He says, you know what, Peter? Uh, he says, you know what, Cephas? Your name is now Peter, which means rock. He was acting like anything but a rock, right? I mean, he's like up one day and, you know, he's, he's Jesus, I'll die for you. And then he's like, you know, I'll, uh, you know, I don't even know who this guy is. Blankety blank. Why are you talking to me about Jesus, right? He's this and he's, Jesus, what did Jesus do? He looked into his future and he pulled out his identity from the future and he began to treat him that way based in the present. I heard somebody say, the reason I love to hear prophetic words over people's lives is so I know how to treat them. I'm not sure if you ever heard somebody's prophetic word. You're never like, oh yeah, that's totally, I'm nailing that one. No, no, no. It's like, whoa, I did not see that person like that because I see all their flaws. I'm looking from an earthly perspective. Paul says, he says, no longer know anybody after the flesh. No, no longer know them from, another translation says, from a worldly point of view. What's he saying? When you look at somebody, we don't just look at what we see, taste, hear, smell, feel, what we remember about them, all their limitations, all their past history with us of when they've let us down. No, no, that's not kingdom. He says in the kingdom, here's what we do, is we're looking at them and we're seeing them from God's perspective when he looks at Peter, who was anything but a rock, and he called him a rock. Remember the story of Gideon. Gideon's, uh, he's, you know, he's in the smallest tribe and the least family of Israel, and he's hiding in a grain silo, hoping that the enemy doesn't come and steal his food. Remember that? And an angel shows up and says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. What was Gideon doing? He was hiding from the enemy. What was, uh, what was God's perspective? He's looking into his future and saying, this is who I see you becoming, and so I'm going to begin to treat you like this. I want you guys to see this. When you begin to honor someone for who God has made them to be, it actually gives them the strength to walk into that destiny. That's why I said that it's, it's, a, it's a greenhouse condition. Imagine an environment in a church or in a family or in a school or in a city. Let's just start with a church and a family here. That it's like you can't lose because even if you fail, people are going to encourage you. Hey, man, that was an amazing try. What if we began to celebrate risk rather than celebrating success? Somebody stepped out and took God seriously and believed something. We begin to honor that, not just the end results. Thank you. It's a little lonely up here, Claire, so I'm, I'm appreciating that, that feedback. <laughs> Heaven sees who you will become and treats you based on your, on your destiny. The earthly kingdom tries to define you by your worst moments. If we're going to create a culture of honor where honor is the glue that holds us together as a family, in our churches, our marriages, we have to understand what honor is. Here's the question. Who gets honor? Who gets honor? Well, we have some commands in Scripture. So, honor Jesus. All right, I can, I can live with that one. That's pretty easy. Honor kings and our rulers. Whew. Wow. Uh, Paul wrote this about a wicked... Uh, he wrote this about honoring rulers while he was uh, living under the ruler who would eventually take off his head for being a Christian. Uh, wives, honor your husbands. It's Ephesians 5. Husbands, honor your wives. Ah, there it is, right back at us, man. Amen. Honor widows. All right, well, that's not too bad there. And then the last one gets me. Honor all men. Oh, man. There goes our loophole. I mean, it's just like, all right, I mean, you know. 
For most of us, we think honor goes to those who deserve it. Honor is an option. I'll honor honorable people. I'll give honor to somebody who has it coming. I'm going to honor people the old-fashioned way. They've earned it, right? That's who I give honor to. But the Bible says this. It says, give honor to all people, even those people who don't deserve it. I got some good news for you. God is going to make sure you have a chance to live out this, uh, this truth this week. There are going to be people come across your pathway who do not deserve honor, and you are going to have a chance to practice supernatural honor and release life into a situation, or you can release death if you ignore it. You can literally change the atmosphere of a situation by what you carry in your heart and the what you bring to that situation. Honor is a mutual deal, okay? Honor is not, oh, you did a good job of serving me, so I'm going to acknowledge that. I'm going to give you a 20% tip instead of that 15% tip. No, no, I want you guys to get this again. We honor because we are honorable, not because of how they are behaving. It's the currency of heaven. So here's the test of honor is people that are not honorable. Let's just bring this thing right down to where the rubber meets the road. I mean, so, I mean, like if Billy Graham was still alive, if he were to come in here, it would be super easy to honor Billy Graham. You know why? Because we don't know him. It's not really honor to strangers because you don't really know strangers. It's honor with people that you know. That's why the Bible starts with honor your father and mother. Okay, men and women, before you got married, who was the person you disagreed with most? Mom and dad. (laughs) Right? And so it says, let's start there. Honoring this person that you get to see their faults, you get to see their parenting mistakes, you get to see all this stuff. And he said, let's start with honor there. Honor can only be given to somebody that you're up close and personal with. If, I mean, for me, Bill Johnson's one of my heroes. I don't really know Bill. We've met a few times. But it's easy for me to honor Bill. Let's just go back to Billy Graham. This is interesting. So an interviewer asked his wife one time, have you ever considered divorce? This is honest to God, Billy Graham's wife's answer. She said, divorce... No. Murder? Yes. It's like, what's, Billy, what's going on in Billy Graham's life? I don't know what's going on. So you're thinking, how am I going to do all of these really important honoring things towards people who are total goofballs? How am I going to do this? Well, here's, a, here's the easy way to do it. Stop trying to control people. Stop trying to make them be something. Okay, here's another one. I will never let your character defects control me. I will never let the way that you conduct yourself conduct the way I conduct myself. You control what you can control. On a good day, you can control yourself. So let's have a good day. You stay in control of your love all day. You stay in control of your honor all day. And so I remember uh, Mary and I were, you know, we used to read some Danny Silk books when the kids were smaller. And uh, like on how to parent and stuff like this. And Danny had this thing uh, on, I'm a cloud. You guys remember Danny thinks that? He says, you know what, on a cloud, he says, you know, you can yell at a cloud, you can claw at a cloud, but the cloud's just there. The cloud is unaffected by you yelling at it, by you throwing things at it and all this. You're, you're a cloud. And so he's like, this is the, you know, this is the attitude you need to take when your children are throwing their tantrums. You're a cloud. You're not, you're, you're not going to let their level of dishonor affect the level of honor that you bring, right? Side note, this is funny. So... So, we, you know, we're reading these parenting books, and so Danny based his teaching on some other books, and so we got these books, and one of them was called uh, When Kids Leave You Speechless, 
And so it had all these scenarios, you know, like how do you handle that when they bite each other, when they're lying, you know, all the stuff, you know, all the stuff you deal with as a parent, right? Like, uh, except for my kids, they never did. Anyway, and so, I, so sometimes the kids would do stuff, and we're like, you know, Lord, we just don't know how to handle it. So we'd send them to the room, and we would get out this book, and we'd find like the the offense that they did, you know, they bit each other or something like that. And so we'd go to it, and we'd like pray over it. And so I remember um, Wesley, our middle son, he found this book, and uh, he's got really high reading comprehension, and he read the whole book. And so I remember we were like, go to your room. And he's like, oh, I know what you guys are going to do. You're going to try one of those things from the book on me. It won't work. We're like, oh, my gosh. Like, he's found out our secrets, you know. <laughs> At some point, you have to give up the books and start listening to the Holy Spirit when it comes to parenting kids. I'm not sure you guys have figured that one out. You stay in control of your love all day. You, can, you control what you can control. You. You can't control Antifa. You can't control the protesters. You can't control the people destroying the monuments. You can't control the police. You can't control the Democrats. You can't control the Republicans. What you can control is you. 1 Peter 2.23. Uh, I did not give you guys this one. I got this one during worship. Uh, when they hurled their insults at him, this is about Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to to him who judges justly. Let me say that again. When, he, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. <clears throat> Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So how do you handle it when people are, have violent tendencies? And these, I'm not saying we don't protect ourselves, okay? I'm not saying, you, you, know, you, you know, it's not a good idea to have a gun in your house. You guys make your own decisions on that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But I'm saying when it comes to this thing, we don't try to control them we say, God, you're going to have to handle the situation. It's beyond anything that I can do. <clears throat> Honor your father and mother. Well, what if my mom and dad were jerks? What if they were abusive? What if they were strangers? I don't even know them. What if they hate me because I'm a believer? Honor your father and mother. I love how Larry Randolph translates this verse. Look for the glory that God has deposited in your father and mother and lock onto that and drag it to the surface in the relationship with them. That's a pretty powerful picture of what you're going to do. And so let's say this. God, you may need the spirit of prophecy to find the good points of some people. I'm just going to be honest, all right? It may not be super obvious, but that's what the spirit of prophecy is. Like I said, any fool can find dirt. It takes the Holy Spirit sometimes to find the gold buried in the dirt. And he says, once you find that gold by the spirit of God, God, show me, show me how you see this person. You lock onto that and you drag that to the surface in your relationship with them. That's good stuff. No one controls my honor but me. No one controls your honor but you. And if I don't control it, then I'm out of control. Well, they made me do this. They did this and that. Now you're a helpless victim and you're deceived. You're a powerful person who has choices over your words, over your honor. I'm honoring because I'm honorable. That's who I am and that's what I'm bringing with me to this situation. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't control that. I don't control you. I control me on the best days that I have, and let's make today a good day. I can't allow how respectful you are to determine how respectful I am, how much you love me to determine how much I love you. Your character defects are never the essential controller of how I respond. I love Jesus. He says, uh, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. 
I mean, if they really had the perspective from heaven, if they saw that they were killing the Messiah, they would have never done that. But that's not what they saw that they were doing. They said, you know what? You may need to memorize that verse today. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What are you doing? You're entrusting it to the one who can save. You forgive them and still honor them for who they are and what they have what they have to give despite their shortcomings. Here's a way of saying this. We celebrate who a person is without stumbling over who they are not. That's what honor is. I'm celebrating who you are without stumbling over who, you, who, you, who they are not. I'm not sure if how you, you hear some people, they phrase things. Um, let's just use me an example. Jim's really, what am I good at? I don't know. Jim's good at teaching, but his administration's not that great. Okay? A lot of people do that. They'll introduce a compliment, but then they've got to put a comma and a but there to bring the person back down a level. Why don't you just leave out the second part? How are we doing? What if you just gave somebody a compliment behind their back without having to balance it out with what's wrong about them also? Man, it is way quieter here than I thought it was going to be. All right. I had a friend uh, texting me this morning, a prophet. He's like, Jim, uh, you're going to need great boldness this morning. I'm like, really? That's a message on honor. Okay, I'm starting to see now. All right. Oh, maybe it's this next point. What would politics look like if a person practiced a culture of honor? Can you imagine a, a political campaign run on kingdom values? No, you probably can't because we've never seen it. No gossip, slander, mudslinging, negative commercials, smear campaigns. I'm not sure, like, I don't know if you've ever done this, like, you're, you know, I don't know if you have, like, DVR on your TV, but you, like, pause it. It seems like you always pause it when someone's making a funny face. Have you ever done, like, they got, like, some crazy face? So I always, like, think it's hilarious. I'm like, Mary, look at the person, you know. Now, like, on these political campaigns, it seems like they always find that picture of somebody. And they always started off, so-and-so hates puppies, and they want them all dead. It's like, what? Like, that doesn't even make sense. And they got, like, a picture of them, like, like on the pause face, and there would be none of that foolish politicking commercial stuff, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. They always like try to make it like, you know, they are all for gassing chipmunks. It's like, what are you talking about? It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Out of the abundance of the heart, Facebook speaks. That's what the Bible says. Honor does not, hold on, do I have a thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Honor does not mean you're a doormat. Does not mean that we're just supposed to be nice and let people mistreat us. Honor does not mean you're okay with people treating you bad. Honor does not mean you have to agree with people who are sinful. I like what Bill Johnson says, political correctness is only proof that stupidity is contagious. There's a political correctness that's trying to take everybody's voice, and if you don't agree, then you need to be canceled. You need to be, you, you need to be arrested. You need to be fired. Honor doesn't mean we're going along with that pandering and that foolishness. Honor does not mean you never stand up for your rights or when civil liberties are being destroyed. Honor does not mean we shy away from difficult issues facing our country. Honor does not mean we never confront people with the way their behavior is affecting us. Honor does not mean that criminal behavior should not be punished. Okay? Criminals need to go to jail, no matter how good the cause is. All right? It does mean that the way that we respond will be kingdom. So um, I'm just going to use a political figure as an example. And so here's the true story. So uh, a family member of ours, their pastor, had this 
I'll just say it, an out-of-body experience with the Lord. So they were asleep. Their spirit was taken to Nancy Pelosi's office. So whatever you think about Nancy Pelosi, I think from a kingdom perspective, we would say that she, uh, her actions have not been 100% honorable towards our president. Okay? I mean, however you agree. And so whatever you think on that stuff. And so he has this out-of-body experience, and he's taken, this is a true story, taken into her office. He just knows it to be her office. And there's six other pastors there. <clears throat> Different men, different women. He just knew in the spirit that they were pastors. And so when he gets there, he's thinking that we're going to pray against the way that she's treating, the dishonor that she's doing. And um, when he got there, Jesus shows up at the office and says, you're here to pray for her salvation. I love her. There's God's perspective. All his kids are valuable. Antifa, police, Democrats, Republicans, ISIS, George Soros, I mean, he's, uh, they're all valuable. That, that's his perspective. Remember when the angel shows up and Joshua says, are you on my side or their side? And he's like, I'm not on any side. I'm on the side of the living God, the armies of the Lord. Guys, anytime you place culture above Christ, you're in error. You're not black first, you're not white first. If you're a Christian, you're in Christ. If you're a Christian, it doesn't mean you vote Republican or you vote Democrat. It means you vote kingdom. Seek first the kingdom means the kingdom is before everything else. It's the primary lens in which you see life. It's before your political party, your skin color. It's before what your family might think about your decisions. Christ over culture. Here's the good news is when you put kingdom first, it's actually what will be best for culture. It's what will be best for your skin color. It's what will be best for your political party. When you think God's way, it's not like, oh, this is just going to be horrible for everybody. It's not that these other issues are unimportant. It's just that they do not take priority. Since I've got you here, let me just do another 60-second little rant. Are we okay? There are a lot of important issues facing our country right now, and we need people with supernatural solutions to bring, the, uh, to, bring to bear on earthly problems. Okay? Part of honor in the body of Christ as us recognizing not everyone is going to be as level 10 passionate about every single social and civil subject as you are, and it doesn't mean that they're bad, hateful, or any of those other things. Let's just name a couple of these issues. Racial reconciliation, is it important? Super important. Abortion, super important. Um, opioid crisis, super important. Uh, people dying of preventable diseases in other countries. Girls coming out of human trafficking. People dying because they don't have clean drinking water. People who have never heard the gospel. I mean, we, we can just go on. Guys, are all these important issues? Uh, the broken foster care system. Absolutely, these are all super, uh, the erosion of civil liberties in our country and religious freedoms. Are these important? They're all super important, but I want you guys to understand this. No one's going to be able to be level 10 passionate about all these things simultaneously. It doesn't mean that they don't care. It just means God may be raising somebody up as a voice in one area, we need those people who are waving the banners and they see it as the most important issue so that the rest of us who don't see it, we can go, oh man, that's important too. How can we support? So part of honor is going to be recognizing that just because somebody doesn't have the same level of passion about something that's important doesn't mean that they're bad, horrible, they're not woke, they're tone deaf and all these other things. Okay. I may need to read that text again that my prophet friend sent me here. Guys, we've got to get a kingdom perspective on this stuff and not a political perspective. We are of a different kingdom. We bless those who curse us. We pray for those who persecute us. 
we can love those who don't agree with us. You know how much that would change things if the people in this room, the people listening to this on uh, a live stream or on replay, if we just began to love the people who don't agree with us? See, the political spirit wants to demonize anybody who doesn't toe the party line and put the right hashtag and do all this right stuff. Guys, that's, that's a political spirit. The kingdom spirit is, what's the king saying? How can I release life into this atmosphere? A political campaign done the kingdom way. Probably be focused on the person's character, their track record of success, their stance on issues. They'd be focused on the solution side of the equation rather than the blaming problem side of the equation. Respectful dialogue. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. I want you guys to get this point. There's a scripture in Ephesians 6. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against human beings. He's pulling back the veil and giving you heaven's perspective on this thing again. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Baker translation. If you can hug them, your fight is not against them. Guys, that's big. You don't have to control all these people. I'm not saying we don't pray. I mean, we, you know, we had uh, a bunch of witches marching in the city. I think they're marching today again. They found 12 cities in the United States that they felt they'll have spiritual portals. Columbus is one of them. Yay, God, we got a portal. <laughs> so, um, yeah, of course we sent teams down there to pray against that stuff and to pray the opposite. And we had teams here last night. Of course we got all that stuff. Why? Because these are spiritual issues. There's demons behind all this racism, behind all, all this mess. And the demon isn't the person standing in front of you, it's the influence behind it. So what does honor look like with all, let's just say in light of all that's being shined on racial injustice? Honor would probably listen to another person's experience that might be completely different than yours and not try to defend your position from your limited viewpoint. Guys, there's people who have lives that have had completely different experiences than you have. And just because you haven't had them, you don't get to downplay and do all the what ifs. What about? What about black and black crime? What about fatherlessness problem? What about this and that? This, guys, those are a whole different issues. But the problem, the, God is shining a light and light is being right, whether it's people are doing it in good ways or bad ways. There's people who experience life differently than you. And we need to humble ourselves and listen to those stories. Just because the media reports on the actions of a few goofy police officers, evil police officers, does not mean that all or even the majority of police officers have bad hearts and actions. Guys, we would not have a country if it were not for men and women who are laying down their lives to protect the freedoms that you and I get to enjoy for free. So we are so thankful for our men and women, our law enforcement officers. And so to have this narrative is just not kingdom. It's not even true. I love the story of Daniel. Daniel, he had a pretty rough past. He's kidnapped from his homeland. He's forced to become a eunuch. I'm not drawing any diagrams on that one. Think about that. Forced to be a eunuch. That ain't, that ain't good. He's forced to learn another language. He's forced to serve an evil king. The evil king is so evil that he sets up an image, and if you don't bow down and worship it, he throws you into a fiery furnace. Okay? 
This is, this is, okay, and so Daniel's serving this king. The king has this dream that freaks him out. He's like, listen, so he calls all of his magicians. None of them can uh, interpret the dream, and so he's going to have all of them killed. Are you saying, like, no one's had a boss or a leader this bad, okay? I want you to catch the heart of honor here. So the, um, so the magicians, they say, Daniel, listen, you need to help us. And so Daniel comes in, and he says, um, king, he, he he not only says, I'm going to interpret your dream. He says, the interpretation belongs to God. I'm going to tell you what the dream is. That's how you separate the big boy prophets from the, uh, whoa, the little boy prophets right there. Um, I'm not only going to interpret your dream, I'm going to tell you the dream. So he says, Here, here's the dream. And um, here's what he says in Daniel 4.19. As he's getting, he tells him the dream. He's getting ready to interpret it. It's a bad dream about the king. The king's about to be cut off. He's about to live with the wild animals and lose his mind. It's a bad, it's a judgment dream. Here's what Daniel says. I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. This is one of the most wicked men who has ever led a nation. And I want you to see the heart of honor. This is the guy who has castrated him physically, who has enslaved him, taken him away from his parents. I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. There's something really popular uh, like YouTube clips and this, it's those gotcha statements. So-and-so, you know, makes a fool out of the liberals. And so-and-so, and it's these gotcha moments, and you're just shutting them down. There's no dialogue. Guys, that's not kingdom. In a kingdom debate, the point would be to, for each side to hear equally the other person's thing, not to just shut them down and make them shut up and just look like a fool in front of everybody. Guys, that's the kingdom of this world. Oh, king, I wish the things that were happening in this dream were about your enemies. There's people who are listening to this that you would rejoice if one of your political adversaries that you can't stand had a major fall. That's not the heart of the kingdom. The heart of the kingdom is, oh God, I hope they come to know you. Every person is one encounter away from transformation. Every person is one encounter away from transformation. And he may use you to be the Daniel or the Esther who leads him into that encounter. That's what we're trying to raise up in this church. I don't, have, I don't believe that you know, a president of the United States will probably ever visit our church and you know, have some you know, gif of them getting hit in the face by a flag or something like that. You know, go viral, right? But I, I do believe that we'll have presidents and governors and mayors and influencers in Hollywood and the arts and the media department come out of this church to be influencers. And I think what's going to help accelerate that is to have a culture of honor where we can celebrate who a person is. We can grab hold of that prophetic picture of what God says about them and bring that to the surface in our relationship with them. Two stories, and I'm going to close here. I'll close with the psych ward story. I didn't forget about you. You know, how do you handle it when people blow it? You know, and so I remember one time, I don't know, this was probably 10 years ago, we are having a worship service, and there was a young man who was on the worship team, and he gets the microphone, you know, didn't run it by anybody, just, just grabbed it, and, which is, you know, is okay a lot of times, and he says, God is healing eyes right now. Everybody get up here. Take off your glasses. Take off your contacts. God is healing eyes right now. And as soon as the word came, I thought, man, God's not on that. I mean, if God's on it, awesome. There would have been fruit. So poor, poor, I mean, you know, they're trying to do their best. They're coming up there. They're taking off their glasses and they're praying. Nobody gets any breakthrough. 
I mean, it was like horrible. And so like at the end of service, people like had left glasses up there and contacts. They couldn't even find their own glasses. Like literally, they couldn't do that. There's people who had to have other people drive home because they couldn't figure out which glasses were theirs and they couldn't even, I mean, it was, it was you guys remember that? <laughs> okay. And so, um, so I'm like, okay, Lord, how do we handle this thing? I mean, this is, this is, this is a big mishap, you know? And so he was a young man. So I call him up and I was like, hey, bro. I said, um, hey, just tell me what you were thinking when, you know, what, what, what was going, you know, how did, how did this come to you to go and get the microphone and do this? And so he's like, well, I wasn't really sure, and da-da-da. And I said, well, you know, if you had to do it over again, what would you do differently? And he's like, well, I probably would have run it by somebody if I'm going to do something like that. I'm like, hey, that sounds good. And um, I said, here's what I want you to do. I said, I want you to come to church next Sunday with a word from the Lord for the people. And I said, um, and if you don't come forward, I said, I'm going to call on you. Why was I doing that? Because he was not going to, shame was going to try to ride him like a pony. And he was going to, it was going to try to define him by his miss. But what did honor do? Honor celebrated him for the trial. Way to go for it. Way to take a bold stand. And guess what? You're getting right back in the saddle. We're going to try that again. Okay? If you remove all the stories of great men and women of God who messed up in the Bible, there wouldn't be much of the Bible left. People in the Bible were not perfect, but God still used them in mighty ways, and we still honor them today. I'm not saying we're, we're not, we love holiness, we love righteous living. But in order to get there, people are going to have to be honored and loved to become those people in the middle of their mess. The same blood that washed them washes me. All people have failed in some way, but God chooses to still use them. The culture of honor is never built around me and what I need. It's built around what I can give. And if I don't learn to give it to those who deserve it least, I will continue to live in an environment without honor. I'm going to say that one more time. If I don't learn to give honor to those who deserve it least, I will continue to live in an environment without honor. So, underwear, hits the face, gag reflex, initiated at level 10. Yeah, I, uh, I peeled the moist undies off of my face, stick to the ground. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. Um, the two guys, I won't say their names, they come to the door, and I think they said something like, I think I wrote it down. Um, I think they said something like this. Um, Can we pound him? I think that's what they said. So what I, I interpreted that as they were going to take him down quite hard, take him to the timeout room, put him in the four-point leather restraints. And uh, I had the Spirit of God come on me and just say, listen, I got this. I got this. And so, um, so they, they kind of walked away. And a couple days later, this young man, he's back in his right mind. The drugs had gotten out of his system, the, the mania, whatever was going on. He showered in his right mind, and he, uh, he says, hey, I recognize you. You're the one who checked me in. I said, yeah. And he's like, man, I, I'm so sorry about all this stuff. He says, it's like I could see myself doing it, but I couldn't stop it. And he says, I remember those two big guys came in uh, to the doorway. And I remember them saying, can we pound them or cream them or something like that? And uh, he's like, why didn't, you, why didn't you have them do that? He's like, I know I had it coming. So I just began to share the Jesus with them. I got to share the Lord with this guy. And um, I'll tell you what. So I planted a seed. A couple weeks later, I'm at my home church. You know, we were, I was in seminary. I was just attending there. And I see this guy, he walks across the stage, and he's getting water baptized. So somehow between that event, he was, he was a seed that was planted. He gets water baptized. 
And because of confidentiality, I can't approach him and act like I know him, but if he approaches me, I can act like it. And so um, somehow we caught each other in the hallway. I might have walked that way. <clears throat> and so, um, oh, hey, hey, was, was that you? Yeah. And so, um, and so he told me the story. And so God used that one act of honor to release life in a way that transformed the situation. So, yeah, yay God. And he's here right now. Will you stand up? No. Wouldn't that be cool? Wow. It was Sean. No. <laughs> Let's stand for closing prayer. When you honor people, they will start to see themselves as honorable, and so will you. And every person is one encounter away from a transformation. Holy Spirit, we need you for this. God, we don't want this to be words. Lord, let this shape the way that we do life together. Well, when we're in small groups, when we're at kitchen tables with our family, when we're in our workplaces, when we're in our school, when we're watching the news, Lord, let, let those acts grieve us into prayer and not anger us into the flesh. Lord, let the church lead the way with honor. Let us show people a better way. Lord, I pray that you would raise up godly men and women who would hold political campaigns under the kingdom that would change the way that we see political races run. Lord, I pray that in this room you would raise up kingdom people with supernatural solutions to, early, to earthly problems. And Lord, as we encounter people who don't deserve honor this week, we pray for the nudging of the Holy Spirit to tap into you so we can release life into that situation. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Our ministry teams are coming forward. They'll be the ones with tags on. We'd love to agree with you in prayer. Now, next week, food trucks. God bless you guys.